Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That could be a, an early form of, of, of a creedal statement. Or in the New Testament, there are several passages that we could consider in that way too. For instance, uh, the one that uh, Jim had read last week, uh, 1 Corinthians 3 to 4. For what I've received, I passed on to you, that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day. The famous creeds of the church history were formed um, by the early church for really good reasons. Today, we're looking at a small section of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, quite simply, it says, on the third day, he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is seated at the right hand of God. The creeds were an early Christian statement of Christian beliefs. It's, they're still widely used in Christian denominations today, um, both in uh, a different catechism use and for liturgical purposes. But this morning we're looking at the ascension of Jesus Christ. The ascension of Christ, interestingly, is not mentioned in Matthew or John, but Mark records it, Luke records it, both in his gospel and in the book of Acts. But there are many, many other scriptures that are uh, recorded as well, and I'll mention a few in a moment. You find the ascension of Christ in all the major creeds of church history. So you find it in the Apostles' Creed that we're looking at this morning, the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, the, just to mention the three, possibly the three main ones. The liturgical calendar always includes Ascension Day, always 40 days after the Ascension of Jesus, which always falls on a Thursday. Um, there are many scriptures, as I said, that talk about the Ascension of Christ. Acts 1.9 Ephesians 4.10, 1 Timothy 3.16, Hebrews 4.14, 1 Peter 3.21-22 that we read uh, this morning. Uh, one writer says this, and I quote, In the Apostles' Creed, ascended into heaven seems almost thrown in as an afterthought, eclipsed by the resurrection. Ascended into heaven trips off the tongue so easily that we can miss how it ties the creed together. Now, I want to say some simple things this morning about what the ascension of Jesus means to us. The first is this, that Jesus is in a place of authority. Again, 1 Peter 3, 21, 20. If time I finish, you can know the scripture off by heart. Jesus Christ has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. We're living in unprecedented times. Now, how many times have you heard that said in the last 12 months? Many, many times, haven't we? A tiny virus, too small for the human eye to see, has brought our whole world virtually to a standstill. Life, life as we've known it has been put on hold. We're unable to mix with one another, even at the moment, with our families. Our economies, have been decimated, businesses have gone to the wall, thousands upon thousands of lives have been lost. Fear, uncertainty fills people's hearts and minds. We thank God for a vaccine, but 
people are asking, what about all these variants and what does the future hold with them? We're like, I think, sailors shipwrecked in a storm, being tossed around by the, the wind and the waves. Nothing seems certain or sure anymore. But we can look up. And there, seated in heaven at God's right hand, where with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him, is Jesus Christ, our Saviour, our Lord. In the midst of uncertainty, we have certainty. Jesus is Lord, and all things are in submission to him. In the Bible, it tells us fit to fear not. Someone's counted them up, as I've said before, and come up with a figure of 365 times. In the Bible, it says fear not. Now, I know that in former calendars, there weren't always 365 days, but there is in ours. So for us today... That's one from for every day of the year. God says to you and to me, fear not. In my late teens, I worked out of a small office in Great Yarmouth, and uh, we were selling and delivering frozen food. Now, I, as well as selling it, I, I used to drive a van sometimes and deliver it. And one day my van was in the garage being repaired, and the garage kindly lent me a beautiful Riley saloon car fire engine red it was posh fast i was having a whale of a time with it one morning on the way to work i went round a narrow country lane bend and there overtaking right on my side of the road was a car and i had two choices really there was a high bank on my left and the car just a few meters away in front i either was heading for a head-on crash, and I was doing about 50 miles an hour, or I could throw it up the bank. And I took the ladder choice and threw the car up the bank. It flipped right over, skidded on its roof for 200 yards before comes a standstill. The car was a write-off, but by the grace of God, I uh, got out through the window completely unharmed. But uh, there was a witness, fortunately, that saw that it wasn't my fault because Eventually, the police arrived. And uh, as they used to do in those days, I don't know if they still do it today, they asked me in a certain number of days, I think it might have been 10 days, to produce my insurance certificate and license at the police station. When I eventually got back to the garage in a tow truck with a written off Riley on the back, I asked them for the insurance certificate. And they looked me in the eye and said, we're not insuring it, your firm is insuring it. We, we have no insurance on this car. We thought you were insuring it. Now, I went back to the office in Great Yarmouth. My manager was on holiday. I didn't know what to do. I was just in my late teens. So I rang a head office, and I heard the name of one of the directors mentioned by my manager. So I asked for a Mr. Burgess uh, at our head office. It turned out he was the company secretary, not the one who types the letters, but actually the position of company secretary. And I explained my predicament to him. And he listened to me carefully. Then he simply said to me, David, leave it to me. Two days later, in the post, arrived a certificate of insurance. I don't know how he did it, but it taught me an important lesson. It taught me the truth of that saying, is not what you know that counts, but who you know. And I want to tell you this. We know the one 
who is seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16, verse 14 first. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We profess. And then verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus has authority. 1 Peter 3.21 again. Angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. We at all times face problems. Some of them, let's be honest, we just can't handle. We don't know what to do. But as I said, it's not what you know that counts. It's who you know. We belong to Jesus Christ. As Christians, he's our saviour. He has given us the privilege of asking in his name, presenting our needs directly to God through him. He is the source today in these troubled times of our hope and our help. There's nothing in the world today that is not under his authority and power. Philippians 2.19 says, 2.9, sorry, says, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When I was a young Christian, we used to sing an old chorus which uh, said, Got any rivers you think are uncrossable? Got any mountains you can't tunnel through? God specializes in things thought impossible. He can do just what none other can do. Jesus Christ is in a place of authority. Secondly, his ascension guarantees our acceptance before God. Hebrews 4.14, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. And then Hebrews 7.24 to 26, because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Now, over Christmas, uh, the TV people put on all the predictable old films. And one day, I'm almost embarrassed to confess this, Jean and I sat down and watched The Sound of Music. We hadn't seen it for years, but uh, we, we quite enjoyed it. And uh, towards the end of the film, Maria and Captain Von Trapp out in the garden on their first date. And suddenly they start singing to each other. Now, I don't know what you did on your first date, but I, I'm glad I didn't start singing to my wife or she would not have been a second date. <laughs> but there they were singing to each other. And uh, she sings these words. Uh, she says, perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable youth. And she goes on a line or two later to say, but somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Now, she attributed 
her good fortune in landing Captain von Trapp, a very rich and powerful man, to something she had done good in the past. And as I watched that and listened to her sing that song, I thought, isn't that just how the media portrays how God deals with us? Isn't that just how people think? That God's blessing, that God's help, that heaven and all come to us by something we've done good, by being earned, by being merited, by being deserved. The truth is the Bible makes it absolutely clear that however good we are, we cannot get God's blessing by earning or deserving it. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, it may be that some in the Ephesian church were thinking the way Maria was thinking because Paul had to write to them in chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is why Christ came into the world. This is why he died on the cross to atone for our sins, because we could never earn or deserve salvation. The old hymn got it right when it said, there was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gates of heaven and let us in. Hebrews 1.3. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The ascension was the crowning act of salvation, the seal of acceptance, if you like, of Christ's atonement, the guarantee of forgiveness and righteousness for all who put their faith in Christ. Now, there's an interesting verse in Hebrews 6.19. It says this, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, the writer was making a comparison with Old Testament temple worship. The high priest once a year went into the most holy presence of God with the blood of the sacrifice to present for, before God that uh, the blood of the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. He was saying that Jesus has done the same for us. He's entered into heaven. He ascended into heaven to present before the throne of God his own sacrifice for our sins so that we could receive the forgiveness of sins. And there today he acts, if you like, as our high priest before God. When I was writing these words down a while back, I had an old hymn come to mind and uh, I still like some of the old hymns. My wife's into all the really modern worship. <laughs> she doesn't want to listen to my music in the cars. I love all the old hymns, but um, I can't help that. But I, I want you to indulge me, and I just want to read the words of that old hymn that came to mind to you. It says this, Arise, my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. The bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. 
Before the throne, my surety stands. My name is written on his hands. He ever lives above for me to intercede. His all-redeeming love, his precious blood to plead. His blood was shed for all our race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly speak for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry, nor let that ransom sinner die. The Father hears him pray, his dear anointed one. He cannot turn away the presence of his Son. His Spirit answers to the blood and tells me I am born of God. To God I'm reconciled. His pardoning voice I hear. He owns me for his child. I can no longer fear. With confidence I now draw nigh. And Father, Abba Father, cry. Jesus guarantees by his ascension our acceptance before God. And finally, Jesus ascended so that his presence could be with us always. Now, doesn't that sound like a contradiction? Jesus went away so that he could be with us. Um, in John 16, 5, Jesus is discussing this very point with his disciples. He says this, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus ascended so that he could pour out the Holy Spirit upon us. The Holy Spirit of God comes to empower us, to equip us, to comfort us, to strengthen us, to teach us things about Jesus. And he does that because God calls you and me as Christians to participate in his work. He chooses to work through us. By sending the Holy Spirit, he is now with us at all times. So he was able to say just before he ascended in Matthew 28, 20, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. One commentator, Bible commentator, wrote on this. How good to know that our Lord will never leave us. When we stumble, he is there. When we fall, he is there. When we feel his presence, he is there. When we think he has left us, he is there. When we doubt him, he is there. When we forget him, he is there. When we give in to temptation, he is there. Just when we need him most, Jesus is always there. But that can only be true because he ascended to heaven. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples weren't ready for the task of evangelizing the world. One commentary says, before Jesus left, the disciples were confused, thick-headed, afraid, selfish and self-centered. After Jesus left and after the Holy Spirit came, they were wise, surrendered, bold and giving. In my last year at Bible College, we were sent, the students were, that were going into the ministry, or uh, most of the students, if I remember, were sent out to different churches for three weeks intensive ministry. And I was sent to Southampton, Southend rather, sorry, Southend-on-Sea. And uh, Archie Nicholson was the pastor, a great man of God, a great fellow. And uh, I was leading under his supervision a home group one night. And someone 
asked the question, what difference, David, did it make in your life when you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, as Pentecostals, I was glad to get that question. And I started talking about all of the personal benefits, the gifts of the Spirit, and so on and so on. And suddenly, very gently, Archie Nicholson cut in and he said, David, and these are his words. I remember them to this day. He said, David, don't forget the purpose that the Holy Spirit is given for, to empower us for the Great Commission. How right he was. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is in heaven. The Bible says we're his body. The church is his body on earth. We're his witnesses. Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ and not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus ascended into heaven to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us so that we could have the ministry of reconciliation, be as ambassadors with the gospel to the world. When Jesus sent out his disciples to evangelize the world, he didn't promise them immediate success or the absence of persecution or struggle or problems or difficulties or good health or wealth. What Jesus did promise them was the perpetual empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. Everything that happens in the Bible from Acts 2 through to Revelation was the result of the work of the Holy Spirit. When I was uh, 15 years old, I rode my bicycle everywhere and I went to church regularly and uh, the church was about three miles from where I lived and most of it was uphill. Now, when people think of Norfolk, um, they think of a very flat county, and indeed it is. But there are certain points, and Norwich is probably the chief one, where it can be very hilly. And uh, most of the journey to church was uphill for me. And one of the hills, Grapes Hill in Norwich, was very steep indeed. And I was puffing my way up one of these steep hills when suddenly I heard a motorcycle drawing up behind me. I then felt the gentle hand in the small of my back and suddenly I was being propelled forward at great speed with great ease and it was wonderful to get up that hill in that way. It was my friend John who was some years older than me and had went to church on a motorcycle and he'd uh, give me a push. Now I want to say to you that what he did was illegal and I'm not suggesting that anyone try it you'll get into trouble if you're caught if you do and it could be dangerous of course. But the difference that made to my journey, the difference that hand in my back, that push, the power of that motorcycle made transformed my journey that day. The Holy Spirit 
comes alongside us, fills us with his presence and power so that we can have a transforming experience and know his power in our ministry of evangelizing the world. Do you and I need the spiritual push and power of the Holy Spirit today? Absolutely. The Holy Spirit was poured out because Jesus ascended to heaven. So let me sum up before I get cut off by Jim because I'm speaking too long. Um, the creeds are important because they set out the core beliefs of the church. First and foremost, they're written because they were written because heresies were arriving, arising in the church and the truth needed to be out there of what the church believed. So the Nicene Creed, for instance, was written to counteract uh, the Aryan heresy. They were also a collection of the core beliefs of the church. And every church today, every church denomination has its core beliefs. And there's a point to what I'm, I'm, I'm getting to a point that's important. The Church of England has its 39 articles. And when I was at Bible College, they were required reading for us. Our Elam churches have their foundational truths. These cover the Bible, the Trinity, the Saviour, the Holy Spirit, mankind, salvation, the church, the ministry, the ordinances, the commission, the coming king and the future state. Now, if you want to know more about those, I'm sure that Jim and Stephen will have memorized them off by heart and can recite them to you and tell you all about them, or maybe not. Now, it's important that these truths of the church were formulated, but I just want to say in closing, there's a further step we need to make. In John 20, verse 30, it says this. But these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. The truth we've looked at this morning, the, that Jesus is an authority over all and gives us hope in times of trouble that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice for sins and guarantees our forgiveness in the presence of God where he is, that we can know the presence and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. These truths need to lead us to take a further step, the step of putting our faith in Jesus Christ and committing our lives to him. That's the step that takes these truths from head knowledge to heart and life-transforming experience. And I pray this morning that you'll take that step. And if you want some help in making that step, then talk to one of the leaders, Jim or Stephen, or one of the, the deacons of the church, or, or some other Christian that you know, and they'll help you make that step of faith in Jesus Christ. And these wonderful truths will become for you, not just a, something written down, and experience your life that will transform every day. Amen.